Tonight's talk is on how to fully receive experience. How to fully receive experience. This skill applies to mindfulness meditation and it applies to your daily life. I lead a sitting group in San Rafael that meets on Sunday evening called Marin Sangha and our whole focus is on living the Dharma in daily life. Because for most of the attendees, the experience of the Dharma is not on retreats, but on the, uh, each day and each moment of their daily life, because that's where they spend most of their time. Many of the people go to retreats, but the percentage of time spent on retreat compared to the percentage of time spent at work, or at home, or with a loved one, so small. And therefore, if we're really going to make a difference in our practice, we bring it into daily life. Mindfulness, being part of Vipassana, a skillful means, a tool for practicing Vipassana. Vipassana, insight practice, the arising of insight, the arising of intuitive knowing, of direct knowing the truth of something, the direct knowing of how it is. We can't practice insight per se. We can't say, oh, I'm going to uh, sit down and practice having a series of insights. <laughs> insights come when they come. When we're practicing mindfulness, we are creating ideal conditions for insight to arise. Insight might be of a personal nature, about your behavior, about a decision you need to make, about why you act a certain way, or it may be Dharma insight about the way things are, of the three characteristics of the five faculties or the seven factors of enlightenment. You might have an insight about any of those, or an insight of how you develop one of the paramis, one of the what's called the perfections. So insight applies to daily life and applies to the full path of liberation. We don't have to distinguish. As we learn this skill, it's available throughout our lives. This is very reassuring. It's very good news because most of you probably are not going to become a monk or a nun. So you're probably not going to spend most of your time at some meditation center. You're going to spend your time washing dishes and driving in traffic and uh, uh, listening to politicians say stupid things and so forth. So then what is mindfulness? Many different uh, teachers have many different ways of describing what is mindfulness. Uh, in the guided meditation, right before the guided meditation, I suggested you consider it in this five-part process, and I want to repeat that now. The first part of mindfulness is to be alert to what's arising and connect to it. Uh, Ajahn Sumedho uh, likens it to if you were a doorman at a building, and you're very alert, and you notice this person wearing a hood with, you know, you can't see their face, carrying a big sack over their shoulder, and they walked out the door, mindfulness in that instance would not be going to go, oh yes, there goes somebody with a, a hood on going out the door with a sack. Mm -hmm. That would not be mindfulness. Rather, it would be you connect to the experience. This doesn't belong. This is suffering. There's something amiss here. That's the connection. You actually make connection to the experience. And there's an element in that from beginning of discerning. There's an intention to discerning. You're being mindful for the purpose of the Eightfold Path, the last of the four parts of the Four Noble Truth. You're discerning there's an intention here. I am, I am showing up in my life. That's why I'm being mindful. So first you connect to what arises. And then you sustain that connection as is appropriate under these conditions and as you're capable of doing. 
it might be that, oh, you know, it's raining, and that's it. That's as long as you stay on the rain. But it might be, oh, it's raining, and you, you're taking a moment and appreciate rain, the cleansing nature of rain, the comfort nature of rain. So there you are staying with, you're sustaining this knowing of rain. Just the experience of it. So this is the sustaining. In Pali, that's Vataka, is this connecting, this first stage, and, and Vachara, this second, this sustaining. And these are, these are the, the first two of the jhana factors, of this deep absorption factor. So very standard teaching. And then we come to fully receiving our experience. For most of us, that begins with receiving experience in the body. You may think that you're pretty tuned into your body, but I've done I don't know how many thousands of interviews now on retreats, thousands of interviews, and it is my experience that most people are not that attuned to what's actually happening in their body, whether it's coming from a body experience, or it's coming from the emotions, or it's coming from the mind's activities. They don't really notice that closely, what's happening in the body. So this first foundation of mindfulness, awareness of the body in the body, this awakening through the awareness of the body, one of the conditions for having insight is this awareness of the body. And so we fully receive what it is that's being embodied in this moment. Oh, it's knee pain. Oh, it's a fluttering in the belly. Oh, it's a wave of excitement coursing through the body, and it feels like this. So this fully receiving the experience in the body, fully receiving the experience in the mind. Oh, the mind is racing. The mind's having a lot of image. Oh, here's this inner dialogue. And we're aware of this as the experience in the body and in the mind, and then we see how it's experiencing, how it's affecting the body. So we're fully receiving the experience. There's uh, many, many reasons for that, which I will be going into. But uh, for our primary purpose, if you want to participate in the dance of life, then you have to receive the experience of being alive. There's not really a way around it. Otherwise, you're up in your concepts, moving around your concepts, but you're not in your life. You're, you're not dancing with life in that way. And without fully receiving the experience, you miss this whole understanding that of what we're doing in this tradition as Ajahn Chah says, there are two kinds of suffering. The suffering that leads to more suffering and the suffering that leads to the end of suffering. If you're not willing to face the second kind of suffering, you will surely continue to experience the first. If you're not fully receiving your experience, how do you know if it's suffering or not? On the surface, what appears to be non-suffering, when looked at more closely, is often suffering. And the opposite as well. What at first appears to be suffering, because it's unpleasant, is actually the kind of suffering that's leading to the end of suffering. So this need to fully uh, receive the experience. This is the third of these five parts of mindfulness. And then to investigate experience. So what is this? What is this wanting mind? Well, I'm angry right now. What's the nature of this anger? Is it suffering or non-suffering? Am I feeding it or am I not feeding it? How does it affect the body? Am I served by this? Am I not served by this? And on and on. There's investigation. And then the fifth part of the mindfulness practice is this cultivation of equanimity, of not being disturbed by what is. Without equanimity, you can't fully receive. There's too much uh, suffering, there's too much stress, there's too much anxiety, there's too much dissatisfaction in our experience. And until we have cultivated a certain amount of equanimity, there's only so far we're willing to go.
No matter what you think you're willing to do, there's only so much your, your ego will allow you to do. And then, as a part of this equanimity, it also allows us to sustain the attention long enough to investigate and allows for the uh, possibility of insight to arise. So the equanimity is part of the conditions that allow for insight. These five together are, make the, the conditions around mindfulness that allow insight to arise. So there we are. Okay, now we're being mindful. What are we being mindful of? Any object of experience, anything that is arising through the regular five sense gates and the mind sense gate. Anything that arises, we can fully receive that experience. One of the beautiful things about this practice is nothing has to be excluded. Nothing. This is so empowering in your daily life. So empowering in making decisions. So empowering in gaining self-knowledge, in self-empowerment, and in spiritual realization. The regular untrained mind, so controlled by the ego, shuts out lots of things. And not necessarily uh, always uh, for bad reasons. It lacks the support system. It lacks the container where you can have everything arise. It's just not, the ego's not strong enough. It can't handle it. And so in, through our mindfulness, we, we learn how to be in time, not all at once, but gradually over the years of practice to be with all of our experience. And therefore, we don't have to shut out anything no matter how unpleasant it is, no matter how uncertain it is, or difficult, or scary. It's all welcome. How much we're attached to something that we think we're getting ready to lose, we can receive it all. And therefore, we can be in relation to it. Without this ability to uh, be with an object, we are stuck in a reactive mind state where we react according to our fears and our wants and our aversions and our delusions. But when we can be present, then we can respond from our deepest values to whatever it is that's here. There may not be much we can do about it. We certainly wish it weren't here. But we can be okay with how it is. So much freedom in that. So much well-being. So any object can be an object of our mindfulness. We can be with an object of experience, no matter how light, small, brief, or how deep, strong, hard, seemingly lasting a long time, equally. We can choose from a lot of different ways. We can pay lots of attention to it, or we can just touch on it for a moment and move away from it. We have lots of different ways we can be with mindfulness. That's not uh, the subject tonight about how to uh, decide when to stay and when to uh, further investigate or when to move away from. There's a whole teaching on that. Tonight we're just focusing on this phenomena of receiving experience, fully receiving experience. So to give you an example from my own life, um, uh, at the time that I was preparing this Dharma talk a couple days before, I had been uh, really uh, tired. I'm uh, in the process of completing a manuscript, and I've ended up with a lot more responsibilities here at Spirit Rock, and I was in the process of recovering from these separate operations <coughs> I'd just had, and I had my regular teaching activity in my my other regular duties of my life. So I was really tired. And so one afternoon uh, before doing this, this talk, I, I laid down and was doing lying down meditation. Some of you are doing now. And uh, uh, so what happened in that process? I was curious as to what was going to happen in this process. The first thing that happened was there was a period of time where just taking this time, there was a great stillness that I felt. I didn't have much in the way of thought. 
There was just the stillness. I was just receiving pause, just receiving this respite. And the mind didn't do anything. It didn't go to sleep. It just appreciated the emptiness of that stillness. Now, without the mindfulness, without the fully receiving the experience, I could have gone to sleep in a moment. And without the mindfulness that was fully receiving this experience, I could have also gone off into lots of stories about, wow, how did I get into this situation where I've got so much pressure? Easy to have done either. But because I was just there going, oh, this is stillness, it was sustainable. It was, it was something that actually renewed me. I got a lot of rest from it. And then I found myself following my breath. Why? Because I follow my breath every day. <laughs> and, and I've done this for so many decades now that when my mind isn't doing anything else, this is one of the things that it does. It just goes around and following the breath. So it doesn't, rather than, your mind may start planning or your mind may start complaining. After enough time of practice, your mind gets used to doing other things. Your default becomes things like following the breath. There's some other default things I do too. Ajahn Sumedho, one of the things he does is follow this sound of inner silence, that the sound of silence that he teaches. So we get these default <coughs> positions that arise. And then, after all of that, I felt then the wave of tiredness. And I just received this experience of tiredness. Again, without going off into a lot of thinking about the tiredness. But just, whoa, this tiredness is like this. The effect of that was to change my relationship to it and give me the energy to continue on with my responsibility. All of this came about because of this fully receiving experience. So how do you receive experience in this way? How do you fully receive an experience? Receiving is a verb. It is an active process. It's not a having received or the, 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 the sense of received. There's not a stamp. Received. Experience received. It's in the moment. And every moment is a little different. So it's a flow that you're moving in relationship to. You're in the flow of this ever-changing knowing through these sense gates. Once you catch on to that, it's quite cool. Because there's this uh, freedom from the soap opera that's there in the moment. Ordinarily like, oh, you know, this, this person at work is not being fair to me, and rah, 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 off we go in our soap opera story about this. Uh, this always happens to me, that I should never have taken this job, whatever your particular story of drama happens to be at the moment. That happens. But when you're noticing the flow, when you're receiving the flow of experience, yes, this person was not fair to you. And yes, it made you feel bad, but now you notice the feeling bad. Oh, and then you notice also that the feeling in your body, or you notice the space in the room, you notice what your breath is doing. You see color. There's all of this experience happening one after another, and you're in the flow of that. Not having to direct experience necessarily. You're in the flow of what's already happening to you, and you're awake to it because you're training the mind to fully receive the flow of experience. So that's one way that we receive experience is by noticing its flow, that there's always a flow of experience to be received. Another way that we become aware and work with fully receiving experience is the felt experience of any given moment of it. And this goes back to feeling it in the body, feeling it in the mind, feeling the emotions and the emotions, all the Buddha's four foundations of mindfulness that he taught, that we actually know the experience through the felt sense of it. And this very much lies at the heart of insight. This goes back to the intuitive knowing, the direct insight, that we actually feel it. It's felt. It's not a theory. It's not our view and opinion. It's not our judgment. It's the felt experience. This moment is like this. Knee pain is like this. Gratitude is like this. Uncertainty is like this. Feeling vulnerable 
is like this. We're fully receiving the experience of it. And we know we're receiving the experience of it because it's felt in the body, felt in the mind. It's felt tangible in that way. We can direct how we experience. We can direct our mindfulness so that we are uh, seeing the experience, we're feeling the experience in terms of particular insight. So for instance, you could, you could notice any experience. Is this pleasant or unpleasant? I mentioned the defaults that I utilize that have just come up through my years of practice. One of those defaults, just as following the breath is a default, my mind automatically notices pleasant and unpleasant. So as I'm sitting here talking with you, I am aware of the changing experience of pleasant or unpleasant that's happening to me as we're, as we're being here together. It's just something that happens. So you can train the mind to notice certain things and fully receive the experience of that. So I'm receiving what it feels like, the felt experience of pleasant and un unpleasant right now. So try that for a moment. Just stay where you are, don't move. Just receive what's pleasant. What does it feel like? What's unpleasant? Right now, what does it feel like? you start to see how this brings another level of being present? Being mindfully present yields the fruit of a kind of presence that is uh, very uh, knowable by yourself and others feel it. And you feel alive through it. You can also, in terms of noticing what you're receiving, you can uh, uh, say when I receive this I'm also going to be in relationship to it in a certain way like investigating it or I'm going to let loose of it as soon as I can because I'm just staying with the breath so I'm letting loose of but you don't deny the receiving in order to stay with the breath so if something else comes up and the mind's gone to it then you come back but oh this too so as we're, as we're learning to be present we're not learning to exclude even when we're learning to focus on a particular object for purposes of deep samadhi. We just slowly let loose of our attention on everything else and it becomes one-pointed. But there's no violence to it. There's no sense of judgment about it. No, we're just coming back and coming back till we start to become one with it and then we absorb ourselves into it and everything else just falls away. So this fully receiving doesn't get um, diminished no matter the kind of practice we're doing. And so why do we bother to do all this? Why bother to fully receive? Because there's certain unpleasantness to fully receiving. If you're fully receiving your experience, you have a lot of moments in the day where you're anxious, or something's not pleasant, or you're irritable, or you're judgmental and you have to fully receive hearing yourself say some terrible things about that driver in front of you. Or since I'm, my mind's on politicians, on that particular politician. <laughs> or just the tough nature of this physical realm of life. This is a life, this realm, life in this realm uh, does have a lot of Dukkha, dukkha, this uh, suffering, stress, unsatisfactoriness. All of our hearts are with the people in Japan and what they're going through right now. Yes, that was an accident, but it was not a mistake in terms of this realm. This realm of existence has all of these kinds of unpleasant things happen. All of these difficult things happen of endless types. 
from old age and sickness, and then finally death, to all of the things uh, in between and around. That's the nature of this realm. So why would we open to this? Why would we feel this as part of fully receiving experience? To start with, if you are going to investigate what is the nature of this realm and what is your true nature, you can't investigate without fully receiving. You have to know it to be able to, to, uh, to uh, explore it. Otherwise, you are only dealing in concepts. And concepts are not very reliable. They lead to a kind of belief system that's not allowed to be tested. It's a belief system that is a blind belief. And in the Theravadan system, nothing is blind. There is faith, but the faith is in your ability to show up, no experience, through fully receiving and investigating it, and then see what's true for yourself. So to know the truth of this, we fully receive. We also, by fully receiving the experience, we then are in a position to judge, to discern, to say, I won't continue with this because I can feel what's wrong in it. I won't stay in this relationship because I feel what's wrong in this relationship and it's too wrong. This is, this is not right to be in. This job is not the right job. Or conversely, you know, there's, there's something about this offer for this job that this feels right intuitively to me. Something, something's calling me to take this job. I'm going to take this job. How did you feel that? You fully received it. You, if you wish to access your intuition to fully receive your experience in your body is the number one way to do that. In addition to teaching Dharma, I work uh, uh, with leaders through what's called the Life Balance Institute. And uh, Almost every leader I've ever worked with thinks they're smart. And in fact, they're pretty much right. They're smart people. But they all want more intuition. This is the thing they want more of, is that intuition. Whatever it is, they want more of it. Because they've seen the power of it, how important it is in terms of making a decision, of being able to uh, decide the direction for an organization or about a hiring decision or a pricing decision or uh, whether or not to offer this service or that service or how to reorganize the nonprofit, whatever it is that they're uh, talking about with me. They want this intuitive feel around it. And I say to them exactly what I'm saying to you tonight, that if you want more intuition, particularly fully receive your experience in the body. Be present in the body, fully receiving what's happening to you in the body while you're having the experience. A conversation, a thought about a decision, a plan about the future, staying present. Well, this plan feels like this, feeling it in the body. Beyond this, as I've said previously, the third reason for fully receiving experience is that's how you get to be alive. That's how you get to be alive. When someone that you care for touches your cheek, if you're distracted and not really there for it, it's nothing. But if you're there, this person I care for is touching my cheek and it feels like this. The day after days of rain, when the sky is so clean, it feels like this. Wow. To get to witness this phenomena, to be this much part of nature, as I receive it fully, I become part of this clean sky, this bright blue. It's being alive. You fully receive experience in order to be alive. And then, finally, you fully receive experience because it connects you to the mystery of what this is. doesn't solve the mystery for you. not trying to solve the mystery. not trying at all to solve the mystery. 
but rather to be aware of this is mysterious. This is, there's an awe to this. There's something beyond what the mind can grasp. There's a way of staying grounded that does not require my sense of being in control. I can be at ease in something that's larger, that's beyond my control. Because I can feel the mystery of it. I don't have to be in control of it. I can hold it in awe without thinking I know everything or must know or must control. When you, when you assume, cultivate, embrace this attitude of fully receiving the moments of your life, you start to be in a kind of um, new relationship that I referred to earlier as a responsive relationship to life. So much of the time, we are in a reactive state, like a puppet on two strings. If it's pleasant, we want it. If it's unpleasant, we don't want it. And that's our dance with life. It's a kind of dance, but not so satisfying. Because it's based on outward conditions. It's not based on our choice. Not our deepest values, not our highest aspirations. As we come to fully receive, this is one of the things we need to do to be able to move beyond that reactive puppets on the string kind of relationship. This is a poem by Mark Nepo. It's called Look Around. If you try to comprehend air before breathing it, you will die. If you try to understand love before being held, you will never feel compassion. If you insist on bringing God to others before opening your very small window of life, you will never have honest friends. If you try to teach before you learn, or leave before you stay, you will lose your ability to try. Repeating, if you try to teach before you learn, or leave before you stay, you will lose your ability to try. No matter what anyone promises, to never feel compassion to never have honest friends, to lose your ability to try, these are desperate ways to die. A dog loves the world through its nose, a fish through its gills, a bat through its deep sense of blindness, an eagle through its glide, and a human life through its spirit. So now, how does this relate to our topic? What does it mean if you leave before you stay? When you hear that phrase, what does that mean to you, to leave before you stay? I know you don't usually talk this way on Monday evenings, but this is what we do in our sangha, so here you are. So you just make a judgment and, and, and move away from it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. You don't experience it. You pass the experience of it up. You pass the experience of it up. Yes. Someone else? You're giving up. You're giving up. Yes. Before you know. Before you know. Anyone else add anything? Yes. If you're not 
I, would you stand up? I heard the first part, but not the second part. If you if you're not present with yourself or with the people you're with, you miss the you miss the experience. Yeah, you've left. How often in your life have you done this with someone that you know that you were really close to? Where you left, you 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 weren't there. You didn't. You were in theory listening, but you weren't really listening. Or there's some feeling being expressed, but you didn't feel that feeling. Or you're having a feeling, and you tune out, even while the feeling's going on, that you don't really show up for your own experience. You've gotten out of there. You've popped out of the body. Your mind's moved away from what your heart's feeling right now. How many times this week will you leave before you stay? Do you start to get this? This is mindfulness. Yes, please. Well, I was, I was going to say that in the experience right now of my mother's transition, and I'm having a very strong judgment that she has left before she stayed, and I guess I'm having a judgment that she never found herself, and now she's leaving, and that's a great deal of pain for me, that throughout her life, she has been other-oriented, mm-hmm. she actually has left herself before she would stay, and have an experience of herself, which is a suffering for me at the moment. Uh-huh. So for you, as your mother is going through her dying process, you're seeing how she spent her whole life everywhere leaving before uh, she stayed. At least this was your experience of it. So then what to do in a situation like that, first of all, is to notice the feeling of it and then to see, to to first understand that that this is your thought. It might or might not be correct, but you feel it. Is the truth of it. So, in your 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 feeling is a true feeling. Whether or not the perception is accurate is not, uh, from our point of view, from Buddhist psychology, what we're trying to discern at that moment. But rather, oh, this I can see the suffering in this, and therefore to meet it with compassion, and to hold her in the deepest compassion, because it's never too late for her to stay before she leaves, even one moment. Even one moment. So you're not demanding. You're not needing her to be other than she is. You're totally embracing her as she is. And yet you're also holding this possibility of her having this, this greater awareness at the same time. And that is, that, is, uh, that is you're attending to her. And then at the same time, you're attending to yourself. Am I staying present with this? Am I fully receiving this? Does this so frighten me that I leave? Am I so afraid that I am in some unconscious way like her, uh, particularly in the big moments of my life, or uh, uh, many other variations on that story? And so, oh, well, uh, can I stay here with this right now? Not judging it, not poking at it, but just, whoa, this is what this feels like to feel my mother not being able to be present. And then letting loose of any feeling like, oh, it's supposed to be a certain way for her. Because maybe it's not for her. Maybe this is, for her, the very best she could do. But that isn't your choice. Your choice is separate from her choice because you had a different set of conditions in your life than she had in hers. And so therefore, again, coming back to how you wish to meet the moment, to fully receive the moment. Thank you for that. The lady with. Uh, Speak louder. Meeting fear. Being fear instead of turning away from it. At least for that moment. At least for that moment. So in, uh, in the Eightfold Path, we have what is called right effort. And there's four kinds of right effort staying with what's wholesome, moving towards what's wholesome. Uh, abandoning what's unwholesome, uh, moving away from what's, if you're going towards what's unwholesome. So you would not stay 
with fear, on and on, if it was exhausting the nervous system, if it was leading to unskillful behavior. But that moment of, whoa, I am, I am in fear, and I feel fear taking over my body, taking over my mind. Now I know to act skillfully to avoid that happening. But you've known the fear. Otherwise, you abandon the fear and you go into denial or you do some sort of compensation. You get in the car and drive and have an accident. You know These kinds of things happen all the time in our regular lives. So this importance of, of this fully receiving in the context of mindfulness to leave, to leave only after you have stayed to stay before you leave. So as a, as a little mantra, I would have you take with you at, at the end of this evening, is this, that I, I, I will stay before I leave. Or I want to understand this stay before I leave. I want to understand how it feels to me. I want to receive this question of what does it mean to me to stay before I leave? That's what I'll do. I'll stay with that. I will receive that. That's fine. This willingness to be mindful, to be mindful. Fully receiving is part of being mindful. Well, is, what, is this fully receiving or do I do need to do more for fully receiving? No, that's a lot of thinking. You're receiving as much as you can receive right now. It's this idea of fully receiving and remember that there's different things that you would receive depending on what you're doing with it, what's appropriate, so on. But you are, it's an intention to be present, to fully receive. It's not a set formula. It's, it's this way of relating to life that allows you to respond to life. So it's nothing set. There's nothing rigid. It's all the flow. It's this felt experience of the stream of our experience. This is the dance with life. Again, nod your head if you're getting this. Because this, this is very practical. Sometimes um, uh, uh, Buddhism is criticized. I just read today and actually sent on to some people an article that was in a UK newspaper um, in which uh, this writer, based on what he had heard from what someone said uh, that had written about Buddhism, criticizing how, well, you know, these, these Western people, the, you know, the Western people who are embracing Buddhism, they don't really, they don't, they don't apply it to their life. They just go off in meditation and then they go behave however they want to behave and all of this. And I'm reading this and going, you really think that's true? <laughs> Have you ever come to any of the Dharma meetings, any of the Sangha meetings, any Monday nights, Sunday nights, Tuesday mornings, Friday mornings? <laughs> Because we spend so much time, uh, including daily life, and having the Dharma show up in daily life. We all do this in our various ways, some more than other, but this is a big part of it. We're not just trying to have this, uh, this one big, you know, bang experience, but we're interested in the wholeness of experience, the 360 degrees of it. So we want to know the Dharma in all of our experience. We want to receive the Dharma and all the experience. Oh, this is delusion. This is a moment of delusion. Oh, this is a moment of aversion. Wow, aversion. I did not know I had this level of aversion towards my difficult brother. Wow. I wonder if that affects how he treats me. <laughs> this being present and fully receiving creates so many possibilities as we learn to do it as part of the totality of the mindfulness, remembering the equanimity, remembering the investigation, and so forth. One of the ways that we separate ourselves from experience, from receiving experience, is through views and opinions. We so like, we're so attached to our views and opinions. Is there anyone here who thinks otherwise? <laughs> in in uh, Dancing with Life, I talk about three renunciations that you can do as a lay person where you don't have to change any of the surface appearance of your life. But if you do these three renunciations, it will completely change your life. 
And one of those is this attachment to being right. And our views and opinions tie in. They're not quite the same as that, but they overlap. We're so attached to our views and opinions. Our views and opinions uh, 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 will numb us, will distract us from the rawness of life. But they don't help very much. We do have to make discernments. We do. We have to say, you know, I will go down this road and I won't go down that road. You know, I will take this job, not that job. I will have this surgery and I want that. But we don't have to uh, stay organized around our views and opinions. It's not that the views and opinions are bad, terrible things. But when we make that our main diet, we're, we're missing the, the, the real food of being alive. The question with the hand in the back. world is out there, and we're here, uh, and uh, so we get half the experience. Yes. Like what you're saying. Uh, I mean, it's the whole experience you would want. You know, I, I, I can think of this with arts, particularly if you see a beautiful piece of art and say, wow, that's gorgeous, right? That's good, and then you go home. Mm-hmm. You know, and you, you, so critical judgment is you can very good, oh, she's beautiful, oh, that's ugly, and so on. And we get that, you know, that's how we are, rather than simply let the whole thing hit you. Yes. Let it happen. Uh, I think that, you know, when we see something that's truly beautiful, it will spark something in us that is capable of experiencing beauty. And guess what? You are beautiful. And that's the fullness of receiving the experience. Yes. Yes. So thank you for that. Yes. Yeah. And you want to live with that, that kind of insight. Yeah, thank you. So, given all of these positive reasons, I'll come back to your question or comment. Uh, given all these positive reasons for receiving experience, why is it that we shy away? Why do we turn? Why do we not stay present? Why do we leave before we stay? The first reason is because we can feel so naked, so vulnerable, when we're just receiving experience as it is. We're we're fragile creatures, physically fragile, emotionally fragile. Our our sense of well-being, our sense of confidence, our sense of our capabilities, our, our sense of how we are appreciated by others, accepted by others. We have huge amounts of vulnerability around this. So it's tough to stay present many times. But as we become aware of this, that, oh, this, this vulnerability is something that we are afraid of, we learn to fully receive our vulnerability. And we get much more at ease with it. Not that it necessarily goes away, but that we are more at ease with it. Because it's just vulnerability in the end. We can also avoid fully receiving our experience because we don't know what's going to come next. So we're sort of guarding ourselves because we've had some bad things happen to us in the past. Small, minor ways of bad things happening and some pretty big things of bad things happening to us. So unconsciously, we have become guarded about what's around the corner. So if we're, if we're already leaving before we get to that moment, then it's not going to be so bad because we're already out of there even as it's happening. That sounds like a good strategy. (laughs) But the trouble is, that means you're missing all the good moments in just the same way. Because that that only works as as a constant. And therefore you're giving up the fully receiving all the good moments to avoid those bad moments. So, pretty dubious as a strategy for that reason, but also dubious because when it's a bad moment and we don't fully receive it, we give up a lot of our our wise judgment about how to handle it. We've already said you lose your intuition. And you also 
uh, put your aversion to a difficult moment into that difficult moment, and therefore it becomes more difficult. Even though you may distract yourself, if we had little uh, electrodes to our, to our brain and we were watching this on a, on a scan, we'd see what was lighting up was the pain, was the fear. I mean, we would, we would see that we can't really avoid in that way. A third reason that we are uh, unwilling to fully receive any experience is that we, we have this illusion of fixity. So we're afraid something's going to last forever. It won't go away. Uh, and uh, uh, the Buddhist teaching, change is constant. Nothing lasts forever in this realm. So from a Buddhist point of view, that is not correct. From our own experience, we can see that it's not correct. But boy, it can feel like it's going to last forever, can't it? You're sitting there in the dentist's chair, or you're on your third hour on the tarmac, sitting in that airplane with no air conditioning, or needing to go to the bathroom, or whatever it is. And it can seem as though it's going on forever. And so we, we, just, we, we, we vacate in ways that are so often unskillful because of that. We, uh, we've had a broken heart, or our, our, you know, uh, 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 someone close to us died, or our pet died, or uh, you know, we've, uh, we're alone now. We've had a divorce or some sort of a separation. And the agony can seem as though it's going to go forever. And therefore, we, we start uh, to train ourselves to leave before we stay. Great compassion that the human beings are forced to deal with this. We're, we have compassion for ourselves around this, not judgment. And then, uh, ironically, we're also, despite being uh, of a culture that supposedly likes to know more about ourselves, it's my observation that oftentimes people are a little afraid of what they're going to learn if they stay present. They're, they are going to hear themselves say these harsh words to someone they care about, and that doesn't fit who they are. So if they're not really present, they can say those harsh words out of anger and not have to be responsible for them and therefore can say them again and again, or do certain acts that are unskillful, or justify other kinds of behavior. So we don't want to learn, we don't want to be responsible for ourselves in a certain way, and therefore we leave before we stay. It's a strategy. It's a strategy. You have to ask yourself, well, does this strategy continue to serve me? You may say, oh no, I don't do that. Maybe you don't. You look to see. You're mindful of yourself. You stay present in a way that you can know. Is this true or not? All in relation to Ajahn Chah's thing, there's two kinds of suffering. The suffering that leads to more suffering. Leaving before we stay, I suggest, it leads to more suffering. And the suffering that leads to the end of suffering. Being present for the difficult has a kind of suffering in it. But it leads to the end of suffering. This is the Buddha's teaching. So fully receiving our experience is uh, uh, a developmental process that we learn to do by practice, but it's also an art form. We are learning to dance with life. Sometimes you need to tune out a bit, you know. You ask the dentist for uh, those headsets so that you can listen to music while you're having your teeth worked on. Or you, you deliberately go to fantasy under certain situations. Because that's actually a, a pretty skillful thing to do, is to sit and fantasize rather than sitting and fretting or complaining. It's, there's not any one thing that's right or wrong. It's uh, being present so that you can use your good judgment. As we uh, commit ourselves to being present in this way, we, it self-reinforces, uh, so we become more and more mindful in this way, mindful of our body experience, mindful of our emotions, mindful of, of our thought patterns. We are really changing how we experience. We are starting to fully receive, and it builds and builds uh, over a long period of time. As we're doing this, we have to keep in mind 
that we have our own baggage to deal with. So we want to go slow and with compassion. You may have a lot of dread in some part of your life. You're not tomorrow supposed to fully open the door and let that dread come rushing in. It would be too much. It would overwhelm you. So you pace yourself through this. It's the slight inclination. It's just a little more now. But not all at once. It would be too much and just burn your system out. Upset your nervous system so much it might take days, weeks, or longer to recover. We can also get lost in the experience when we start to fully open to it because we're not accustomed to being fully in the experience. So we get lost. So we fully open to our uncertainty and we just get lost. Well, I, I don't know what to do because we, we, we've, not, we've not developed the other skill sets. So this is, again, a slow process over many years. We also uh, can uh, get dismayed by our obsessiveness that we've never fully received or how nervous we are, how insecure we are, these kinds of things. So we, we go slow with this. We, our compassion, our equanimity has to grow with the level that we're opening to fully receiving. This makes sense to you? The equanimity and the compassion together, they are, they are, they are, uh, they and the, the constancy of the mindfulness, that's what allows us to open in this way, that we're present. We're able to sustain this attention and then and with the level of discernment. That's why I talk about this discernment in mindfulness. And the compassion would lead you to say, oh, time to stop thinking about this, stop, time to stop feeling this for right now. Need to go take a walk, need to read a book, call someone on the phone. There's a, there, this is the dance of this. Um, uh, being present is not risk-free. It is not risk-free. The Dharma, to, uh, to pick up the Dharma and to start to live the Dharma is not risk-free. So we, we want to approach it with great respect and move through it in this way. The end result of all of this is this feeling of, I'm showing up. I'm showing up. And I can show up in all these different situations. I can go to this, um, this meeting where I don't want to be in this meeting at all. And I can stay present in this meeting. I can have this operation. I can walk around with this pain that I have to walk around with for these next months and maybe for the rest of my life. And I can receive this pain. I can receive knowing that I don't know when this pain is going to end. Do you start to feel the freedom in that? In the same way, you can uh, feel clinging and go, I don't have to cling to this thing that I'm feeling greed for. I don't have to do it. I can feel the greed, but I don't have to obey the greed. I'm not just the puppet on the end of that string. Oh, I can feel this aversion. I can even feel hatred. I can receive this. I can know that this is hatred, but I don't have to be the puppet on the end of that string of hatred. My mind can be free of these things. I do have choice. Maybe only for this moment, but in this moment I choose to be free. And then those moments build like drops going into the bucket, like the water slicing through, creating the Grand Canyon. Over time, we, we, we cut away and we move to freedom. And as part of this whole movement is the fully receiving. So now your question or comment. attachment of our thoughts and opinions uh -huh. as it relates to fully receiving the experience. Yes. Um, and, and I'm not meaning uh, having to be right, being open to other possibilities, but in, in speaking from, from our own point of view, it's the only point of view that we have. So how can you avoid the attachment to that? In other words, if you and I were having a conversation on whatever topic, my knowledge of 
the topic would mm -hmm. be whatever my experience of it had been or is about right. to be or whatever, and yours would be yours. Sure. So how can I not be attached in some way to, to the to the information that I have, yet being open to receive more. So when in our interaction, you would be making your offering from your knowledge, and I would be making my offering from my knowledge. And we would each, in an ideal world, be open to being affected by the other. So uh, to give you a simple example, uh, it was so hard for me to accept that we tortured people. It was that we, as America, tortured people, that the United States tortures people as we did. That was very hard for me to accept. I had tremendous views and opinions that would arise as a reactive mind from that. I would give you a thousand reasons why my reactive mind view and opinion is the one that we should all embrace. <coughs> but as I, I, I kept working with that, because I could see how charged that was for me. It was closing me down in some way. My views and opinion closed me down. Although I still, to this day, have the same view and opinion. But the way I was in relation to that view and opinion was closing me down. And I, so over a long period of time, I discovered that, oh, I didn't want to own my share of this. I didn't, I didn't want to, to, to feel the shame of this. I didn't want this to be my world. And so there was a version there that was, that was fueling my, my, the power of my attachment to my view and opinion, which I still think, and which I think everybody in this room would be inclined to think the way I think about this. But, but my relation to it was what was wrong, not the view and opinion. The view and opinion was stopping me from fully receiving the experience of this. I am going to be far more effective by fully receiving the, the shame and the outrage that I feel, that the, the immediacy of, no, this is something that has to change. Does this make sense to you? So we're, we're out of time here. Um, uh, I, I will stay just a few minutes afterwards if there's some individual questions. I do want to encourage you, if you're interested in this topic, to pick up this. There's a card back there on the back table on the right as you go out. On the one side, it uh, talks about a free weekly teaching from Dancing with Life, uh, my book. On the other side, it's the Dharma Wisdom website. There's a talk on the Dharma Wisdom website on how to investigate, that is the sister talk to, how to, to this, how to fully receive. So you might want to uh, pick up that, uh, download it or listen to it online or whatever it is. So if we can close our eyes, yes. I was just wondering the name of the poem you wrote. Oh, it's Look Around by Mark Nepo. Mark Nepo, N-E-P-O. So if we can close our eyes for a moment, we want to dedicate the merit of our practice. So just noticing what's true in your body now. Anything that's gotten stirred up in you about your leaving before you stay, how you would feel it in the body just now. And notice what you're feeling in your heart. fully receiving the heart's experience. And then noticing the head center, thoughts, images, inner dialogue, fully receiving the experiences of the head center. Body, heart, and head fully received. As we learn to fully receive our experience with compassionate mindfulness, may it be a benefit to our loved ones. May it be a benefit to all those with whom we come in contact. 
any merit that has arisen from our practice this evening, individually and together, we offer that merit to all beings. May all beings find their own way into fully receiving. May all beings find their own way into the cessation of suffering. May all beings this day be protected from harm. Thank you for your kind attention. There's also a flyer back by the same table for my Sunday evening group. You're welcome to come again. Blessings. Blessings.